Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. My IOs are all screwed up. They have ointment for that now. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. My IOs are okay. They're within the normal range. Ah! You got your good IOs and then you got your bad IOs. Uh Uh-huh. Let those get too high. These are very middle-aged jokes. Also joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I can't say anything on this show about what I'm experiencing in a technological world without being made fun of by Glenn about it. You can't yeah. give Glenn jargon to hold on to. That's yeah. right. That's really I, the lesson for all of I, us. Because I, I use it right away to try and seem cool. Yeah, nothing about the input-output <laughs> station of a digital recording rig is meant to be cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I like to fit in. Sure, you gotta try things. I got IOs and Sure, stuff. absolutely. Sure. Well, the, the <laughs> thing is, you don't want to, and I, I don't care for when we start the show that way either, because you don't want to be too insular. Sure. You don't want to create your, your own kind of own kind of secret language uh, that right. people point. can't penetrate. And that brings me to declare an emergency. Is it an IO emergency? No. Oh. Okay. I give you a headline sent to us from several people. Glenn's got it. And, uh, we have from Miss LaVon on Superfan on Facebook. Some other fine folks shared this with us. I read the headline from Relevant Magazine. Okay. Tulip Singles is the Calvinist dating site you've been predestined for. Nope. nope. <laughs> and before we shred this thing, and oh, we will. I got to say, and I didn't expect myself to feel this way, hats off to the Relevant Magazine intern who decided to go ahead and have a lot of, a lot of fun with that headline. Yeah. May I also say, please, we regularly have listeners who send us, I found this crazy thing, you guys should know about it. And we always love that. We're Absolutely. always glad to receive it. It's truly epic when multiple people send yeah. us the same thing. <laughs> yeah. That's it- incredible. It's a real bat signal for Christian nonsense kind of thing <laughs> happening. Like it's uh it's whatever the opposite of the zeitgeist is. It's just something horrific. Yeah. Has, has truly happened. So Matt King is the Commissioner Gordon. I wanted so badly for this to be a joke. I looked for that Babylon B URL. Yeah. When you see a headline and you just say to yourself, Come on, onion. Come yeah, on, yeah, onion. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Don't, don't, don't let this be real and humiliating. Yeah, don't let this be a thing that's happening. So, but it's not. Again, a, a actual reputable news source, okay. Relevant Magazine, brings us an actual Calvinist dating website. Wow. <laughs> Just, what are you thinking? Do you get to specify how many points of Calvinism you're on on this website? <laughs> Jed, you, you're still trying to make jokes. We're beyond where jokes live. For real? <laughs> I read from the first paragraph of the Relevant Magazine article. We've all been there. You're on a first date. Everything's going beautifully. The conversation is flowing. The sparks are flying. But then out of nowhere, he drops the bomb. He's only a three-point Calvinist. <laughs> oh, For real? Boy. Yeah. I, I'd like to dispute something just right up front. We've all been there. No, no we have not. We have not. <laughs> Here's another thing: is that there, uh, there, 
maybe people listening to this that have no idea what three point five point Calvinist tulip and all of that is. Well, speaking of uh, dating and love and knowing you've done right, I was reading this article to my wife when someone sent it to me, and her was, "What does tulip mean?" And I thought, "Ah, oh, yes." <laughs> well, that this is it, and we can spell out what tulip actually means to to keep from driving people crazy. But what you will find is that the explanation is no more clear than the acronym. Sure. Well, I'll read you what those letters stand for. Yeah, go ahead. Please. So the T stands for total depravity. There you go. That's a great start. Chipper. Do you believe in total depravity? That that's a good opening line on a date. <laughs> I believe in total depravity. Like, it depends on the tone of voice. Yeah, that's right. The U stands for unconditional election. Mm. All right. It's so clear what this is. <laughs> Should I read these like we're t- in a dating app kind of thing? Please, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Say, well, hello. The L stands for limited attention. Wow. <laughs> that sounds appealing. <laughs> now, hey. the next one could work. Hey, girl. The I, that's irresistible grace. <laughs> but don't worry. That P... It's perseverance of the saints. <laughs> that one kind of fell off. Just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was, I was tracking. Yeah. I was tracking. So, a- an actual quote from the site. <laughs> are you asking yourself, quote, where are all the reformed singles in my area? <laughs> no. no. No, I'm not. No one is asking that. No one has ever asked that. No, it, it, some of us on the podcast, uh, my, myself, Included were raised Presbyterian, sure, with all this Calvinist stuff. You're almost over it, and I, you know what? It, no, this, this, this ain't it. You know, sure. this is not how. You know, come on. Well, my favorite uh, on that is, and Glenn said this to me many years ago. It's proved true because we work with folks who are Presbyterian pastors and oh yeah, teach the seminaries and are very high up in, in denominations that Calvinism is is their whole is really big into their thing. I presented another, and if you ask them, if you go up and ask them, predestination, really? They'll him and haw, right. and eventually get around to, I mean, technically, yeah, but we don't know who is, so you got to treat everybody like right. this. It, right. it doesn't yeah. really matter. They will, yeah. they will all, the people actually do do it yeah. and study it will all land at, yes, technically that, but you can't do anything based on that. <laughs> so it's, whatever. That's right. Well, there, yeah, there there are also some problems with speaking to the people in your denomination in some form of code. Yep. You know, if you say what's the what's the tulip, and then you explain what the acronym spells out, and then it's no more clear to you. Yeah. You're not really meeting me part way. Yeah. So there's problems with that, but uh, it it is important to know that we you know sometimes we. You know, we we say things about Baptists, or we say things about Lutherans or Presbyterians. It's important for people listening to this podcast to know we definitely say that to their face. That's completely <laughs> true. Yeah, that's this is not like a behind the scenes. I kind like of thing. the idea of of somebody trying to pick somebody up and using one of the points of Calvinism as like a pickup line, like. Hey, girl, you know, I unconditionally elect to be on a date with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, well, the, just the, I, here's what gets to me is the, the conceit of this website is you could have an attitude like that. Like, 
you can't resist my grace. You know. <laughs> it, the the idea, the conceit of the of, of the of the dating service is that another Calvinist oriented woman would hear you say that and be like, "Wow, yeah, yeah, I, that's like my kind of guy." <laughs> yeah, that's not what the people. Are, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's not it, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, but as ever, I can't help but wonder if there's an angle for us. Okay. Oh, because if people want to, because here's here's the thing that's under I think is underlying this, and we've heard a lot of stuff is dating. Who could understand how it works, man? Right. So we've up to this point advocated a fairly direct go up to a person and say, "I think you are neat. Do you like coffee?" Right. And you know, or some version of that. That's a good starting place. It's it's direct. Yeah, it has, and we would see that as a positive. Can we drink beverages near each other and acknowledge one another's presence? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think up to this point we have seen directness as as a, a virtue. Yeah. Apparently, the rest of the world does not share this. Right. Because you got to find a, someone who wants to code word, and mm-hmm. then you got to get on a site, and they're swiping or something. Yeah. Um. So can we? Put our own jargon, yeah, into dating stuff. Oh, because we got yeah. lots of jargon. We do like right. whether that be technical, whether that be ministry stuff, right? So I'm just wondering, you know, what what can we do here? Oh, I think I've got the starting point. Please, okay. Bridgebox Singles. Wow. Oh, right. that's right. It's a way for you to get connected with other say that super vans. Cool, right? You know, you share a lot in common. It's a really very very small pool of people. Except I believe cool. we would we would brand that as an exclusive community. An exclusive intimate community. <laughs> there you Could go. we call it because sometimes like what you want to do is look at what's going to be the end result of right. this. You know what I mean? Right. So like like a lot of dance clubs have names like that. Like, right. you know, like uh Ecstasy sure, or yeah, yeah. you know, something like that where you sure. you, you go and and then the idea is you find an ecstatic, enjoyable right, experience. Yes. So, could we call our dating service where you meet others say that super fans baby explosion? Wow, <laughs> I think that may be what our friends in the marketing world called a little bit of muddled branding. I'm not saying the babies explode. That, right? No, that, no, no, no. Well, that's right. That sounds like that. Just babies are just. Pacow, you know what I mean? That's not good either. Oh. No. (laughs) Women don't want to think about that sound effect (laughs) and the babies. That's not good. Like somebody catch it. (laughs) It's not like a t-shirt cannon situation. When the man makes himself laugh like that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the onomatopoetic quality cannot be understated. Oh, well done. How solid that was. Right. But I don't know. Pacal.com hey. isn't going to be it. <laughs> that way, yeah, because babies started ex- just happening. You yeah. know, when love happens, then you get married. Sure. That's the order. Sure. Then you get the babies. Mm. You know what I mean? Really? That's how. Yeah, get the babies. Also, not a good slogan for a website. <laughs> <Right>. Confusing. Ba- <laughs> babies, get some. Going to draw some attention from people you don't want it from. Yeah. That's also not good. Here's what it is. Because there's a lot of problems with uh, you go on a date and it's kind of a weirdo. Sure. So, you know, that's, that's, I, I think that's what the tulip dating was trying to address. To assure that you would have a weirdo? 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. Steered is, into the ditch on that one. I, I think we 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 are filtering a little <laughs> inappropriately somehow. Yeah, let's uh, don't do that. Don't do that. If you're the people making something like TulipSingles.com, don't don't do that. If you're the people who are continuing to sending us utterly ridiculous ephemera from Christian nonsense, please continue to do that. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, and th- this has to be said. I think the the million dollar idea is the thing that takes the guy who is struggling, right, and we work with him, right, and line that dude out. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, that's your million dollar idea. Yeah, dudecoach.com. That's what okay. I hear you describing. Okay, that's yeah. I that's your million dollar idea. You've heard of a life coach. This is a dude coach. Yeah, I picture dude. that being a horse drawn buggy, but it's pulled by two weightlifting guys. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's a real dude coach. The, the, can we just call it take a knee? Everybody There's take a, a possible knee. another money-making idea for us in this real quick, which is that what if we start our own TV series similar to The Bachelor, but instead of handing out roses, they actually, the, pre, you know, the, the Presbyterian guys actually handing out tulips. And then, of course, oh, at yeah. the end, everybody saw it coming because it was predestined. <laughs> <laughs> that's it you did it yeah. you nailed it that's yeah we're not gonna top that so yeah. on that i'm gonna declare emergency off now we can't promise that if you join Bridgebox, you will uh end up in a loving uh, dynamic christian marriage well sure we can it's a lie but we can promise it sure that's, that's what freedom of speech is we're gonna go ahead and promise that if you sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash bridgebox we promise you a dynamic and fulfilling Christian relationship. <laughs> this promise is not a promise. Uh, you know, pr- void or prohibited. Details inside. Sorry, no CODs. Yes. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month. What we can guarantee is that you will get cool stuff in your inbox every month and support the work we do in Chicago and down there in Tennessee. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. We're going to jump to our first question here. Thank us all the way to the end. I get some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click one of the links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, There's a really judgmental guy at my school that says he's a Christian but has hateful attitudes towards people. I disagree with him on his approach, but he doesn't really listen to my point of view and just quote scripture back to me. It's frustrating that I can't talk him out of his nonsense, and it even makes me question whether I'm right about things. How does God want me to interact with this kind of person? And Jed, I think it's a really a really cool question. A lot of, a lot of good stuff going on there. Where do we start off? Well, to start off with, it's a little funky, but hang with me. We're start off by looking at actually an economic idea, and it's an idea called opportunity cost. It's a little bit trippy, but it's actually, once you get your brain around it, it'll, it'll help you a lot with all kinds of decision making. So if you go to the store and you take a dollar out of your pocket and you buy a pack of gum, it'd be easy to think, uh, it was a simple transaction. I wanted gum. I had a dollar. I bought the gum. Now I have the gum. They have my dollar. And, and that's all true. But now here's another thing that's true. There is an infinite number of other things you could have purchased with that dollar that you didn't. So that gum didn't just cost you a dollar. It did. It cost you a dollar. But it actually, in a sense, it cost you the opportunity for all of the other things, basically an infinite number of other things that you could have spent that dollar on. You agreed with yourself that you were not going to do any of those things, but you were going to do the gum. Okay, that's that's a little funky, but I, I think that tracks. I think that makes sense. Okay, it turns out that opportunity cost applies just as much to how we spend our time as how we spend our money. So 
if you decide I'm going to take the next, you know, 40 minutes and I'm going to watch the next episode of this show on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, exact same thing happens. It is true that you spent 40 minutes of your time to watch this show, but that's not the only thing that's true. It's also true that you decided you agreed with yourself to not do a basically infinite number of other things during that 40 minutes. It didn't just cost you the 40 minutes. It also cost you the opportunity to take out the trash, to go for a walk, to call your grandma, to study for that test, to um, bake cookies. What it, Again, an, an infinite number of things. And so this isn't in any way, the point of opportunity cost isn't about putting yourself on a guilt trip, but it's being aware that there are non-obvious costs that go with every time you spend a resource. And it's actually good to be mindful of that. It's not just the outlay you immediately think of. It's all the other stuff that you didn't do, that you didn't buy, that you didn't watch on Netflix and so forth. Okay. With all that in mind, let's return to your situation. Here's my question for you with, with your interactions with this dude. What aren't you doing? while you're busy arguing with this guy. I mean, you are spending a lot of time arguing with this guy. You're spending a lot of emotional energy arguing with this guy. You're spending a lot of um, uh, uh, passion and focus uh, and attention arguing with this guy. That That's all true. That's all unavoidable. So what aren't you investing time in when you're investing into this guy and arguing with them? What aren't you investing emotional energy in when you're investing it in arguing with this guy, what aren't you investing focus and passion and determination in when you're instead spending it on this guy? I think it's worth asking that to yourself. And I think it's worth going to the Lord and getting a sense from him of in general, where does he want your time and your attention and your focus and your passion to go? And the reason why I say that is there are far more things in this world, particularly in the day and age of social media, there are far more things that you could get outraged about than you will ever have time and attention and focus and emotional energy to spend on them. Far more, infinitely more. In the same way, there's more music than you will ever listen to. There's more TV shows than you will ever watch. There are more books than you will ever read. There are more people than you will ever argue with. Uh, that's, that's an unavoidable fact of the world that you live in. And so we want to start getting some wisdom from the Lord on what are the good uses of our time and resources? What are the good uses of our emotional energy? What are the good uses of our focus? What are the good uses of our passion? For what it's worth, this does not sound like one of them. But one of the problems with conflict is it can create in us a sense of target lock. I've got to get this situation squared away that keeps us from seeing that opportunity cost element. It keeps us from saying, not only am I spending a bunch of time and energy on this, I'm not spending that time and energy on an infinite number of other things that may be way more important and way more the kind of thing the Lord actually right. wants me to invest in. I think that's a really fantastic place to start off. And Glenn, I think uh, exactly that opportunity cost uh, that Judge talking about. In the last episode, you were talking about distractions. Yeah on one of our questions and it can certainly seem that if I can turn this person around who has this terrible attitude and maybe other people see me like do that and like figure them out, that'll be this huge thing that's, that's impactful. And that's exactly the kind of rabbit hole we can spend so much time and energy down. Mm -hmm. What are some things to be doing instead? And what are some ways we can 
we can talk ourselves out of because you know there's some com- something confrontational crosses your face and your first thought is I got to jump on this dude's air hose. Right. What are the kind of things we can remind ourselves to realize there's probably a better way to deal with this? Well, I think first and foremost, and I'm going to give you the really, really advanced uh, ministry secret sauce on this. The real question to ask ourselves is, when we're dealing with a person like this, what is the Holy Spirit telling this person? Mm. Here's what we know. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. When we're on something wrong, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It speaks to our our conscience. And for some of us, we're barely detecting that. For some of us, we we detect this voice of conscience and we bury it under a mountain of denial or theology or politics or work or you, sex, you name it, any number of things. But here's the thing. He knows he's wrong. On some level, it may be way, way in the back. It might be just 0.01% of his thoughts. But somewhere in there, he knows he's mm. wrong. If you could read the transcript of his thoughts and confirm for yourself that that's true with this person, how would you deal with them differently? Because 100% of the time when I'm dealing with someone who's coming at me and saying, ah, and I, the, you know, the Bible says you got to do it, and they're coming with something funky. I know you know you're wrong on some level. If you could convince me, maybe together we will all agree, and then you can silence that voice in your head. That's not going to happen. You're hoping I agree with you. That's why you're fighting so hard for me to agree with you, is because it's killing you because you know you're wrong. If I if I understand that about you, if I know that about you, and you come at me with this, the Bible says, and you gotta, and you don't even know, guys, stand on the hill of truth, and this and this and that. My response, if I know that you know you're wrong about it, my response is going to be something a lot closer to, sure, buddy, uh huh. You know, that's not it, though. Like, you know. It's not like I'm telling you. It's like, you know within yourself. That's not it, right? Well, no, I know I know that's it. It's in the Bible. That's it. Yeah, but you really doubt it, don't you? There's a part of you that really doubts that you... That's why you keep talking to me about it. Because you have doubt that this... You know that you're, you've got part of it, but you're filling in the gaps, and it's it's kind of busted. So you want me to sort that out for you? Is that what? <laughs> no, I'm trying to sort you out. No, I don't. I don't think so, man. I'm I'm pretty clear on on my part of this. I I pray through these things. You know. See, so you see what I'm saying? That's a very different type of conversation that we that we end up having with people when we know that the Holy Spirit is convicting them that they're wrong and what they're saying. I don't want to be condescending within right. that. I don't want to be negative and 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 what have you. But I do want to have an attitude of. You know, deep down, you know. What that's going to allow me to do is plant a seed and then move on. I don't need to have the same conversation all day, every day of, hey, you know, this isn't it. I can say it, and it if, if some small part of you knows you're wrong, and I come along and I say, dude, you know that's not right. It's like a tuning fork mm. going off inside mm. of them. I am echoing what the Holy Spirit is telling that person. 
And that is bouncing and reverberating around in this person's head. Okay. At that point, the best thing for me is to extricate myself from the situation. And that person and the Lord have a conversation about that. And as they wrestle that out and work it out, me continuing to be in that situation and just driving that to a point of irritation doesn't do anything. The other thing is, Jed is pointing out, is uh, if I've planted that seed and the Holy Spirit is allowing that to grow, there's not a whole lot else for me to do here. There are other people who are ready right now. I see Christians every day stepping over somebody wide open to hearing the gospel to debate somebody who's just looking for attention and doesn't believe half of what they're saying. And they're just, it's coming from a place of anger. It's coming from a place of whatever. They're walking around saying, you don't like me anyway. And then they just say something unlikable to play that out because they just, they're perpetuating that thing within themselves. Here's the thing. When I'm doing ministry in any kind of environment, if I'm in in a prison uh, deck situation, I'm in a room full of inmates, I have to figure out where to start. I'm starting with who's teachable. That's just how that's how I'm looking at that. If you're not teachable, I'm moving on to the next guy. So th- that what we can really do here is recognize, as Jed's saying with the opportunity cost piece, I have to make a priority for people who are open and yeah. ready, and they're at that turning point. Everybody else needs to be on the back burner. It's all fantastic. It's a lot of really good practical stuff, but bones on what, what Jed gave us there. And Lee, I'd love to to take you for you to take us through this part of I am trying to talk to this person and then just keep quoting the Bible at me. Because I think that speaks a lot to the heart of what's going on here. What are what are we doing here? Are we having a debate? Are we yeah. um doing competing textual analysis? What's what's what do we want this interaction to be? Yeah, this is a really interesting point. And I was thinking about uh the kind of the the answer that I had jotted down while while Glenn was in the process of giving his answer, and he was talking about this idea that the Holy Spirit is saying to this dude inside himself, you know this is off. There's a really interesting moment in uh in the Gospels where we find out that um f- like we get the actual inside scoop on what Jesus' enemies were into. It said that they were accusing him because of envy. Isn't that interesting that we get this inside scoop on exactly what was going on inside these guys, that they they had this, um, when they would debate with Jesus, the way that it looked to the outside, the, the outside observer was, these guys have all these scriptural points that they're making at Jesus about the law of Moses and not healing somebody on the Sabbath. But what we find out from the Holy Spirit is, nah, they're just jealous. They're just jealous. They don't actually have any point to any of the thing. And one of the things that you find out when you actually start doing some ministry is that if you want to serve um, the least of these, if you want to serve the needy, if you want to be there from some for somebody who needs a listening ear and who needs a, a, a hand up and who needs some help or some advice and stuff like that, you're not going to find a long line. Um, it's exactly what these guys are saying. Everybody's stepping over the people who actually need help to have these conversations. I think we need to zoom out on, um, to to go exactly with what Jeb was saying with the opportunity cost, exactly what Glenn was saying with what's going on inside the people that want to debate. 
We need to zoom out and remind ourselves, what is the point of Christianity? Um, Is the point of it to be right about doctrine? Is the point of it to be the person who is the most amazing at debating scriptural analysis and exegetical, you know, acrobatics and all that kind of stuff? Or is the point of it to help somebody who needs help, to love somebody who needs love, to share the love of Jesus with somebody who's ready to hear that message, to plant a seed or to water a seed that's been planted or to help somebody grow in discipleship? These are... This is the thing that the point of this is. Um, I, I was thinking about it and real, it just kind of while these guys were talking and just thinking like, how much actual debate do we get from Jesus in the Gospels? And you know, when you, when you, when you have kind of a, a scriptural uh, hypothesis and you start running it through the Rolodex of what you know from the Gospels, and it's one of those things where I realized all the debates I can think about that happen with like the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and all these guys, the scribes and all that kind of stuff, it all happened when Jesus was just showing love to somebody nobody else cared about. That's when he got entangled in those conversations. Otherwise, they weren't around because he was just serving somebody. The, he found himself in these kinds of situations when they were upset that he had just shown somebody love. The, my point in bringing up that idea is that our job is just to get down to the business of responding to the Holy Spirit's tug, the Holy Spirit's squeeze on your heart. The question you want to ask at the beginning of the day is not, how do I answer this person's questions about this verse or that verse? The question I have is, Lord, who are you putting a squeeze on my heart for today? Where is that burden of love? For whom, to whom would that be directed? And what do you want me to do about it? I'm not going to worry about winning debates. I'm not going to, because most of that stuff is somebody that's jealous. It's just like the scribes and Pharisees with Jesus. They're envious and there's not a long line uh, queuing up around the people who just need help. We need to broaden our view of what is the point of Christianity anyways? Why did Jesus get entangled in some of these conversations? Wasn't it always around the fact that he was just helping somebody that nobody else cared about? And the rest of the time, he's just at work. He's just going to work serving somebody. So I think when we broaden our view, we find out what we need to be about. That's absolutely fantastic. That's all great stuff from these guys. We'll move on to our second question, which comes in and says, Philippians 4, 11 to 12 talks about being content, whatever the circumstances. But aren't there things we should not be okay with? How do things like injustices and toxic relationships fit into contentment? And Glenn, I think it's a really cool question. We may do well to start off by figuring out what contentment actually is, right? Well, for sure. I think uh, we get to to thinking that uh, contentment is uh, sort of a resignation, uh, sort of a putting off, having no particular thoughts or feelings about something, uh, that's not what contentment is. Uh, it's, it's finding a sense of peace in the middle of an unpeaceful situation, which is, which is the nature of life. Life itself is not peaceful. Uh, we have to, to find that in our relationship with God, and, and 
it helps if we're in a fairly calm situation to access that and it, it you don't want to it's you don't want to run with leg weights on it, 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 spiritually to try and you know make it harder for you to access that contentment but here's the thing part of what you're bringing up here is the idea of contentment would make me um complacent and uh, compliant in situations where I, I shouldn't be going along with things, and um, that a lack of contentment and an abundance of um, anger and frustration and a, a sort of a, I'm not going to take it anymore spirit would be the way to bring about positive change. And it makes a certain kind of logical sense. This is, this is the narrative we tell ourselves a lot. How did you change the situation? We all got real mad and then we went out and changed it. You know, that's, that, this is what we think how change is done. Um, I'm going to make an, uh, an opposite statement to that. And then I'm going to make my case. I think, that a lack of contentment perpetuates things like injustice and toxic relationships. Those are the two examples you gave there. Great because they're kind of uh, extreme and in and you know and unique to each other. Um, here's how I think that works. If you're imbalanced in any way, if you're dealing with anger, you're dealing with frustration. Uh, you're dealing with you're coming from a place of uh, maybe a, a fear about things that drive some of that anger and that frustration. You're imbalanced. You are not centered. You are being driven by emotions that are very quickly going to wear off. Uh, and you're also going to be when we're driven by emotions, we get less rational. We get less logical. We don't we don't strategize well, and we also telegraph those emotions to other people. And if you're, if you're trying to um, resist my in desire to be unjust, if you're trying to resist uh, this uh, toxic relationship, what I'm looking for is cracks in your resolve. And if I see you wound up on emotion, I'll say, hey, you're gonna, this emotion is going to burn off. And you'll you'll give up, and then you go right back to being fine with what was going on here. So I just write it out. I just wait for you to finish having emotions about it. If you get sort of super wound up, and you're screaming and you're yelling, and it's you know it's very big, and there's a lot of bombast and everything, this person says that I can tune that out because it's just emotions, just screaming. This isn't there's any resolve behind that. When you find that place of contentment, you find a focus. You find a true resolve. You find you you look at a situation and say, "I simply will not have this anymore. I this is simply not going to happen. I will not be in this toxic relationship. I will not uh, sit idly by as this takes place, as injustice takes place. I will do a thing in order to change that, and I will show my resolve." Because I have I have accepted the situation as it is. I understand the world is imperfect. I understand that wrong things happen, and that's part of life. But I am I am choosing with all of my being and resolve to make this change. Here's the thing: give you maybe a way of seeing this in a more concrete context. Um, 
uh, John Lewis, who's an American uh, congressman, uh, was a big part of the uh, civil rights movement and had did a lot of uh, uh, civil rights protests and, and dealt with that. And I remember in an interview, he said, whenever we would do any kind of a protest, a sit-in, a march, or whatever the thing was, uh, I would go around to all the people or someone would go around to all of the people and say, smile. The whole time mm. we're doing this, smile. If it's a hunger strike, you smile the whole way through. Because if you look angry in your face, if you look like you're wound up on something, they'll look at that and say, ah, that's just a brief momentary thing. But if you've got a smile on your face, that's like you already know this change is going to right. happen. And people really take a very different cue from you when you have that smile on your face. So getting to that place of contentment is, I think, how we make those changes because we're deeper in our resolve. That's a fantastic place to start this off. And Leah, let me get you to pick us up there with continuing to kind of look at this idea of how maybe a a misidentification of of contentment and what to be content is. Um, can really take us down the wrong path here. Yeah, I think that uh, the idea that uh, somehow contentment means like, this means you don't have, in yourself, you have freed yourself from all desires or wanting. I'm just, I have become a person who has no needs. That's what contentment means. That's not what contentment means. That's not what the Bible means by it. That's that's a different religion. That's more related to some kind of, you know, kind of a, a Buddhist idea of like, I'm, in order to reduce suffering, I need to reduce my own desires. The scriptures are full of God encouraging us to have desires. Uh, he he encourages, encourages us to seek uh, fullness, to seek life abundant life. He encourages us. He, he said that's why, the Lord said that's why he came, was to give us abundant life. He encourages us to to seek out um, pleasure and delicious food and full relationships and all of that kind of stuff. Actually, when, when this person is uh, making a reference to Philippians chapter 4, it's a very specific context to this, to this conversation. The, the, the word in the original language that Paul uses is a word that most of the time in the New Testament is translated uh, to be full or to be satisfied. It's the same word that um, that that is used when Jesus, you know, feeds the five thousand in in all four gospels. It's like the one miracle that shows up in all four of the gospels, and it says when people ate and were satisfied. That's that same word. It's the word full. It doesn't mean I've gotten myself to a place where I'm I'm never hungry again. I don't need anything. It's that I'm a person that I know what hunger feels like, and I know what it it means that we that we need that people need things and that I need things and that people need justice and we're not there yet. But I also am a person who knows what it feels like to be full. And in the midst of me knowing that I've got real needs, I also know how to trust God in the middle of those needs and to I, I know what it means to be satisfied. I know what it means to be satisfied while I'm waiting on his way to show up. Uh, the Apostle Paul was specifically writing to a group of people, and he got into this last chapter, and he's talking actually about the their financial gifts to him, and uh, you know different different groups of believers who were some were more able to give him a financial gift than others. And he said basically what he's saying to these folks is, I want you to know that when I share what's going on with me. 
I'm not sharing that because I'm like begging you for money or anything. He said, I've got an abundance of everything that I need. I'm sharing this with you because I want to partner with you and give you an opportunity to be blessed by giving to everything that God is doing. I want to bring you into the partnership more and more and more. You've been a partner with me before. I want to keep bringing you in. Um, I know what it means. I've got needs. I, I seek pleasure. I seek life. I seek abundant life. I haven't removed desire from my life. And in the midst of that, I know how to trust God and wait, and I know how he is making me full and satisfied in the middle of that. There is a subtle difference there. There's a, there's a little nuance there, but we need to make sure that we don't think that, that a life with Jesus is somehow a life that means, um, you know, I don't have any needs anymore. I am just a, a drop in the ocean, and I don't count, and I don't matter. And it's like, no, no, no. God made you with a stomach, and he made you with hunger, and he wants to fill it with good things. He gave you a life and a heart, and he wants to fill your emotions, and he wants to fill your life with relationships. He wants to fill you with all of those things. And in the midst of us waiting on how that all comes out with his timing and everything else, that we're learning to trust him, and we know what it means to be full and satisfied while we're looking for things that we very, very much want. It's a fantastic point. It really builds very well on what Glenn started us off with there. And Jed, I think we can uh, continue looking in the New Testament because to find, obviously, Paul wrote Philippians and gave us this concept, but we can find other times where uh, Paul's actual life is going to flesh out exactly what these guys have been giving us, right? That's exactly right. I agree with everything that both Glenn and Lee have said. Um, uh, Paul was content. He encouraged us to be content. Uh, but uh, he also, for example, he filed legal appeals. Mm-hmm. Um, in the face of injustice and unjust situations, you can read about that in Acts yep. chapter 25. Um, he uh, went to great lengths to escape from dangerous situations. Uh, you can find an example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He directly challenged people who were yep. wrong. Uh, you can find an example of that in Galatians chapter 2. So uh, clearly, um, uh, Paul did not intend that contentment would preclude taking action. Uh, that right. just his life clearly bears out that that is not the case. And it's worth noting, the same thing is true of Jesus. Um, uh, uh, Contentment is a godly virtue, therefore Jesus had a great deal of contentment, obviously, Um, and we see Jesus challenging injustice and wrong things left and right. So there's uh, there's no question about that. I think one of the things that we would want to encourage you with, too, I don't know if this is where your question is coming from, but, but this happens around Christian culture quite a little bit, is people who... Their basic message is stop feeling what you're feeling and put up with my nonsense. And the Bible says you have to. Um, And they have a way, folks around that have a way of cherry picking verses. Um, They love verses about contentment. They love verses about honoring your father Uh, and mother um, and respecting your elders. And uh, these verses mean, again, stop feeling what you're feeling um, and do whatever I tell you to do and put up with my nonsense and don't have any problem with it. And, on some level, I guess I can appreciate the hustle of that, um, but uh, uh, that's not what any of those verses mean. Uh, and a uh, a survey of the literature, as it will, does not support those conclusions. Uh, so this is this is a, a great question. We're always glad to get questions like this. I don't know that that's where this question is coming from, but if you've got people in your life that are trying to use the Bible as a weapon to tell you that you can't feel upset about bad things, and you can't try to get out of abusive situations, not only are they wrong, but you should take it under advisement that um, 
they probably are people you want to be pretty Amen. careful around. Indeed, you do. That is all fantastic stuff from these guys. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I love my parents, but they have a lot of issues and bad behaviors that I am coming to see now that I am an adult. It feels weird to try to influence and guide them to better choices since, you know, they're the parents. Is that something I can or should do? And uh, parenting your parents is something we've talked about before on the show. You may have heard that term, but it is it is a little bit counterintuitive, and it's always worth exploring a little bit more. So, Lee, where would we kick this one off? Yeah, this is a really, really good question. And as somebody who who has parents um, who have quite a few issues, um, I, I can speak to this from personal experience as well as just from a kind of a theoretical or advice point of view. Um, I, I would bring up two really important words into this conversation. Those words are discernment and boundaries. Um, I think, well, I should say it like this. I completely understand to the point of overstand that you can get to a threshold of frustration with your parents when you start to realize what the real deal is, um, how much immaturity is actually in there, how much, um, you know, when you find uh, prejudice or just funky attitudes about stuff that does not matter at all. Um, I, I was talking to a friend recently who had, um, you know, he had, he was confront, you know, he was dealing with the idea of confronting his parents about the fact that he realized that they had become hoarders that they had started, you know, like they have so much stuff in their house. They can't move around in the house. And a, a lot of us at a certain age, we realize, especially folks of us who are really walking with the Lord, we look at our folks and realize, man, you guys have a lot of problems. And there are like 30 things that we really need to get in shape here. And what I would encourage you to do is to exercise some discernment. And what I mean by that is that we need to look at, like if we look at a, a list of humongous issues that your parents have, we need to pare that down to um, to a situation, a situation where we're not trying to fix everything about your parents. We're not trying to burn the house down. We're not trying to do an omnibus of like, all right, mom and dad, uh, it's we are tearing the house down to studs, and I'm going to fix you. You're welcome. We're doing it all today, this weekend. That's a bad idea. That's not going to be received well. It's not going to work. Uh, you wouldn't like it if somebody did it to you. Uh, and so, and I wouldn't like it if somebody did it to me either. What we want to do is, is we want to look at the boundaries of what of your parents probably have a lot of out of pocket behaviors, attitudes, all that kind of stuff. What of those things affect your life and your relationship with them most, um, like most acutely. That's the thing that we want to pray through and work on is they're probably not asking you to fix them. So some of this is going to come as a shock. Some of this is not going to be received well, probably. What we really want to look at is what are the issues in the, in your relationship with your parents where their out-of-pocket behaviors are most acutely affecting you in your relationship with them or you in your life. I'll give you a quick example from my life. We'll pass it on to the rest of these dudes. Um, my my little sister has a really tough relationship with my dad and they're working on their issues or whatever. And he approaches me and says, are you, 
you know, do you ever talk to your sister? And I realized, look, man, and the guy's got a lot of issues. But the thing that I had to say to him in the midst of this thing is, I will not be the arbiter between you and my sister. You guys have your own thing. You're my dad. I love you. She's my sister. I love her. I'm not going to do that. Therefore, what I'm saying to you is, whatever it's been in the past, you cannot talk to me about this because I've got my relationship with her. You guys have your own problems. I will not be the mediator in this thing. Just a quick example of the, uh, of, of the fact that the guy's got a lot of issues that we could be talking about and working on. But the one that was affecting me the most acutely in that situation was he's saying, I want you to be the referee between me and your sister. No, I will not be the referee between you and, her, and, and she. I will be her brother and I will be your son and we will have different relationships. That's not going to happen. You may have to set up some boundaries to deal with the issues that most acutely affect your relationship with him or your life or, or her, you know, your parents or whatever. But don't try to go in there and wholesale fix everything because we're going to have to exercise a little more discernment from that because it won't work. Yeah, that is a very, very important point. And Jed, maybe you can pick us up there because uh, once there's kind of two wrong ways to go about this in general. One is, as, as Lee is pointing out, to just never advance and develop this relationship and just put up with, with wrong things forever. We yeah. certainly don't want that for you. But the other uh, problem can be to just dis- decide for yourself that you're going to kick the door in and fix all this and go in guns blazing. And that really doesn't work because it never works with anyone. Um, yeah. We're talking about parenting your parents. The thing about a parent-child relationship is the child doesn't really super have to have a lot of buy-in on that. Yep. All other relationships, you kind of do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's you know, kind of pull the camera back for a second. When we love people, we want to see them do better. We want to see them have more joy and more peace in their lives and less uh, drama and less pain and suffering in their lives. That's true for everybody that we love. I mean, there's that it, and it shouldn't be different if it's a blood relative or not. It's just, we love people. We, we want to see them have a, a better life, a more, a more peaceful life. Um, really the key question, and this actually goes back to our first question in this episode is who's open to input mm. on that. Who, who's, who's actually ready for that. Um, if, if you have blood relatives that um, are open to input and open to guidance so that they can have a better life, man, that's amazing. Uh, first, I just want to meet you and shake your hand because, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Uh, I can't even imagine. But but if if they're open, yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. I, I think if it were me, I might divide this, and this goes right along with what Lee has already been telling you. I might divide this into kind of a two-stage thing. So stage one is we want to get into a place where whatever their issues are, whatever their bad behaviors are, are not actively in an ongoing way wounding and damaging right. you we need to get out of the blast radius okay so that that's going to mean different things for different people that may mean um moving out if you live with them not living with them anymore um if you've got a degree of financial dependence on them where you know they help out with certain expenses and they feel like they get to call shots that may mean moving away from that uh, that may mean just having a couple hard conversations that we've discussed before in the show boundaries are not about telling other people what to do uh, boundaries are simply making it clear what you as a person will and will not put up with so uh whenever i'm around you you always talk racist stuff i don't like that uh, if you do that when i'm around i will leave um, I'm not telling you you can't do it. I'm just saying I will not be there for it. 
So that is that. So stage one, it may be logistical. It may be more setting boundaries, maybe a combination of both, but it's creating a place where you out of the blast radius. You are not getting burned by whatever fire is raging. You are not actively being damaged by whatever shenanigans they're on. We really need to do that first because it's super, super hard to help people who are actively stabbing you. I mean, that's really, that's a big ask. So, you know, have you ever thought about how maybe this is more about how you're angry at yourself? <laughs> maybe you wish, maybe you really want to put that knife in the spleen of your sadness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So with that in mind, we need to get to a stable place where, put it this way, we want to get to a stable place, if at all possible, where if their drama were to continue unabated forever, you would be sad about it, you would mourn it, you would grieve it. But it wouldn't have a huge impact on your individual life. We want to get to that place because that's the place from which we're in a much better position to help them. We're in a much better position. A, it it allows us to do a few things. First, we're able to see their situation a lot more objectively. Um, if we're not, again, we're, it's people we love, they're hurting. We're going to be sad about that. But if that's the main impact is that there's, there's a sense of sadness. We're able to look more objectively and see kind of a sense of priority of what, what's really damaging them. Mm. Um, and what's more something we can save for later. And again, that's, that's hard to do when we're caught in that blast radius. The other thing that allows us to do is we're able to have a much more objective sense of, in what ways they are open to input. Openness to input is not a binary thing. Um, There is no one on this planet who is 100% open to input and open to all changes they need to make right now today. There's no one. There's also very few people who are 100% closed to all forms of suggestion of any kind. Very few. Most people exist on a continuum somewhere between those two. So that... Some people may be ready for a bit of coaching. Some may, people may be doing one thing right and what they need is a bit of encouragement and just being cheered on in the one right thing they're doing. Some people may be at a place where they've been on something terrible, but they're ready to have a seed planted. They're just, you know, the, the, the smallest thought that maybe things could be different and that's what they're ready for. But you being out of the blast radius gets you in a situation where it's a lot easier to observe and to prayerfully consider what they might be open to. The last thing that it does is it allows you to be patient. People change slowly. That's an unfortunate truth. Most people, most of the time, change slowly. And it's not realistic of us to insist that people change quickly. It's also not really fair of us to insist that people change quickly. And here's the thing. If they're actively hurting you, you're going to insist they change quickly, which is going to sabotage that process, which takes us back to the need to get out of the blast radius to a place where they're not actively wounding you in an ongoing way so that you can see what's truly hurting them, what kind of input they're open to, and you'll be able and willing to be patient with the process of the changes that they are making. That is all really, really good stuff. A lot of practical, great stuff there. And Glenn, let me get to close this out. So let's say we're at a point where what these guys are describing has happened. We, we've right. decided ourselves that this is something we need to do, that we're getting some measure of buy-in on some level. How do you go about redefining this relationship in a way that works? Because a a parent-child relationship is pretty well-defined and kind of a one-way thing. But now we're two adults, and I may know some things you don't, regardless of age. How do you go about broaching that kind of idea? Well, I think 
you're asking the right question because what we're looking at is what sort of perspectives allow us to make the smart decisions that Jed and Lee are both describing? Because they're they're essentially saying you got to pick your battles and you got to yeah. know what things really matter. Um. So, and as Jed is pointing out, if it's affecting you, that has to take priority. Because if they take you out, you, you're not going to help them on anything. Yep. So that's that has to be coming first. But I think we should be looking at the ideals here. The ideal is that there is a point where parents begin to phase their children into being adults, where they're, they're letting children make more and more of their own decisions. And they're learning to make responsible decisions. And the ideal is that uh, at some point, those children begin to help their parents navigate a world that has massively changed. Yep. Uh, and I think if you delay either of those points of transition on either ends of the experience of being a child, uh, you're going to have real problems and real dysfunctions. There's there's no virtue in uh, parents just trying to rule their children's lives forever, and there's no virtue in letting parents just run buck wild. Yep. There's just no reason, because they're going to hurt themselves with that, and they're going to get lost and confused and the world it changes. I mean, I don't think when you're young, you can quite get your mind around how different the world gets when you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and so forth. It's it's a radically alien place to what you grew up in. And the language changes, the 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 rules of behavior change, what is polite changes dramatically. And it's hard to get out of the habit of those things. It's hard to you know, uh, Jed and, and Matt and I were all raised in the South the way Lee was. We're up here in the North. We go to a restaurant. Someone says, you know, would you like something to drink? We say, yes, ma'am. Can you bring me a Diet Coke? They're, they get weirded out when we say yes, ma'am. Angry. Yeah, yeah, they just they don't like it. But you can't stop the words from coming out of your mouth because it's rude to say it any other way. I've full on been chewed out for saying yes, ma'am. Yeah. The problem is my mom would slap me in the back of the head if I didn't. So right. I yeah, don't tell you. Yeah, it's, it's muscle it's, memory. Yeah. So youth, you know, for, for someone who's been doing the same thing the same way for 60, 70 years, uh, it's tough for them to navigate mm -hmm. that. And they need someone to help them do that. That's you. So... Um, it's important to find respectful ways of doing that. It's important for to find gentle ways of doing that. Uh, and it's also important to speak up early on that because if you let them wow, just yeah. get all kinds of rope, they're going to be way dug in and say, Hey, why didn't you say something before? Give me an example. Uh, when my uh, wife uh, and I first met my wife, when I first met my wife's family, she's introducing me to them. Uh, at that time, her grandmother was still alive and a wonderful lady, just sweet as pie. Uh, she and I got along real well. She was way up there in some years now. I mean, like, you know, like she just was, you know, she had some years on her, bless her. And she wasn't, she was sharp, but she didn't always, always know what day of the week it was kind of a thing. You know how that goes. So we all go to a buffet restaurant and we all had a nice meal, sitting and interacting. And at some point, Grandma looks either way. Sweet, sweet, wonderful old lady. Grandma looks either way, opens up her purse. 
She's got like 12 Ziploc baggies in there. She starts raking food into her purse. <laughs> now, this woman has plenty of food to eat at home. She, she is not economically unstable. Also, she's not being subtle about it. Yeah. Try, she thinks she is, but it's not happening. And I look, I look around at all of these people. You're like, hey, uh, any of y'all going to say anything? Nope. Oh, uh, no, you know, that's just how she is. No, I don't know. That's not how she is. She'd be horrified if she knew what she was really doing. And how's she going to feel if some, some waitress comes over and says, it's all you can eat. It's not all you can carry off. Yeah. I mean, this is a, you know, you have to understand. Be embarrassed. Yeah, she'll be embarrassed. You don't let that happen to an old lady. You say, quit it. Just, I'll get, if you need more groceries in the house, I'll buy you some groceries. Don't you worry about the, you don't have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. This ain't the 1930s where you got to <laughs> hang on to an extra hunk of bread in your purse or something. Let's, let's, uh, it's run to the bank, grow victory garden. That, yeah, exactly right. So I think the, the part, the, the, the criteria that we want to look at with that is what is respect? Because mm, we hear yeah. that word a lot, yeah. you know, honor your father and mother and so on and so forth. The verses that get quoted to us. It is not respectful and it is not honoring to let your parents run buck wild and mess themselves up, embarrass themselves. They are not going to be happy that way. You're not going to be happy with them that way. That's not respectful. Here's what it is. You have a seething disrespect and resentfulness and anger and frustration that you are holding inside and allowing to build bigger and bigger and bigger every day. That is the least Christian, least honoring, least respectful thing I can imagine. And it won't work. And it definitely won't work. You can't hold that in forever. It's better in the moment to say, Grandma, put your purse away. Dang. We're at the bu- <laughs> you're going to get us kicked out of the buffet. And she, you know what I mean? Grandma can take it. Sure. This is the thing. If Grandma can't take a little bit of, hey, we're all going to get arrested here, so why don't you not? <laughs> then we, gotta, we, we have a whole l- another level of problem here. But I think if you do that early, and you do it gently, there's a, there's a part where they begin to trust us that we're only speaking up when we really need to speak up, and that we're doing that in a way that's helpful. If they learn to trust that, we're going to get a much healthier thing. Amen. That is a lot, a lot of good stuff. On a very complicated situation, one is definitely worth looking at. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can also scroll down into your episode descriptions and find those links there tell the song this week this is from our friends pete and tasha lawson Woo! it's called opportunity knocking got that thanks for just listen, listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it possible tulip dating line oh girl i've unconditionally elected you to be on this date with me oh yeah wake up because opportunities knocking wake up your opportunities knocking no fear because opportunities knocking so clear your opportunities knocking Using your mind, your opportunity knocking One of a kind, your opportunity knocking Jesus is your opportunity knocking Jesus is your opportunity knocking I believe in the Lord above And I believe I was made for a life of love I believe when my life doesn't measure up That I can go to the throne and ask God what's up Sometimes I lose track of my assignment God give me a push so I can find it And I may be free or in confinement Of the love of my God I am still reminded that 
doesn't always come with quiet. I can be at peace while the world is violent. Doing God's work makes the boredom silent. God is the boss. I want to find the clients. Want to heed the science. Need self-control. Say that's one of the fruits God give my soul. Find new frontiers to cross is the goal. So I don't get scared. And God, I am whole. Wake up, cause opportunity's knocking. Wake up, your opportunity's knocking. No fear, cause opportunity's knocking. So clear, your opportunity's knocking. Using your mind, your opportunity knocking. One of a kind, your opportunity knocking. Jesus is your opportunity knocking. Jesus is your opportunity knocking. Stay at the house of the hope is tatters. Playing all the games, the controller shatters. It's the same old life in the same old patterns. Days go by till I find what matters. Find new roads and I find new meaning. Time from the journey, go to sleep, I'm dreaming. Tomorrow, what's next? See my smile, it's beaming. Go to my God and together we're scheming. God say I'm free, so I'm free indeed. God give me life that more abundantly. Jesus, break all my chains and my mind is free. There's more to life than Xbox and we. God give me rest when I labor in his name. God showing up, he don't play no games. God hear the body of my life when it's lame. Move to a new level where there ain't no shame. Wake up, cause opportunity's knocking. Wake up, your opportunity's knocking. No fear, cause opportunity's knocking. So clear, your opportunity's knocking. Using your mind, your opportunity knocking. One of a kind, your opportunity knocking. Jesus is your opportunity knocking. Jesus is your opportunity knocking.